Acts chapter 27, verse 41. If you're there, say amen. Amen. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest on some boards, some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. What is going on in this story, the Apostle Paul is on a slave ship. He is uh, going to be uh, put on trial where ultimately he will be imprisoned and then he will be executed. And this is their journey as they're trying to head to land. They are in a horrific storm in a terrible situation. And the storm gets their, their, the ship to just completely fall apart. And the centurions are ready to kill everybody because they are prisoners. But they withhold that and then they jump ship. And we continue later in Acts 28 that they survive, they build a fire, they reconvene, and some really neat things happen. But there are some things they did not anticipate. As Paul was going on trial, there was some anticipated, uh, unanticipated dangers from this. And that's what I want to preach to you about for the next few moments. Un- unanticipated dangers of a trial. Let's pray. Let's ask God to talk to us. I, I feel the Holy Ghost here. I believe God has placed something on my heart to share with you. And I, I, I know within my heart in prayer that God wants to do a deep work in somebody's life today. Can we, can we lift up our voice to Jesus? Lord, would you speak to us in these next few moments, God? I pray, God, that you would give me, Lord, your words, God, in my heart, in my mind to speak forth, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would give us an attention span to hear what the Spirit is saying. And someone saying, Jesus, Jesus name. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. If you love Jesus. Unanticipated dangers of a trial. You know, there are dangerous things in this world. No doubt we're living in a day and age where it's kind of like we're always on terror watch, wondering who's going to, you know, plow a car into somebody, who's going to fly a plane into a building, who's going to set a bomb somewhere in a marathon. It's just nonstop danger seems to be lurking around the corner everywhere we go. And it's not just in cities. It's even in rural places. It's in small towns, as we just seen the other week in Texas, a small town. If I remember reading the report correctly, it had maybe one stoplight in the whole town. And uh, then someone goes in and they gun down and kill some 26, 27 people with 30 other injured. It's just a dangerous world that we are living in. And even sometimes we feel that we might be exempt from danger because we live in Brady Bunchville, Watertown, South Dakota. But we are not exempt from danger, even in a so-called place or a safe place so-called. In fact, you know, there's many things that we, we like to deem as safe and there's nothing to worry about on a not so extreme level, but still a very important level would be, you know, uh, that YouTube has has contrived a, uh, made a uh, an app for children because 
YouTube and the advent and the internet and media that people have launched out watching all these really convenient videos on YouTube, but it didn't take very long before perversion made its way onto YouTube, and you could see some of the most grotesque things even on YouTube. And so uh, the Google company that owns YouTube has made a separate YouTube channel called YouTube Kids. Anyone ever heard of that? So we would think, you know, that is a safe place. But there's unanticipated dangers even in safe places so-called. In fact, just not too long ago on this app, YouTube Kids, I never heard or watched anything called Peppa the Pig. Anyone heard of Peppa Pig? Something like that. Well, that is one of the safe videos they rate on YouTube Kids. But there were some disturbing videos of Peppa the Pig on this YouTube Kids channel, which were promoting extreme violence and fear. And Peppa was eating her father and drinking bleach. And uh, another uh, situation of Peppa Pig, there was one of the episodes called Cocaine Pancakes and nearly one million views of Peppa the Pig watching Cocaine Pancakes on YouTube Kids. And uh, there's I read through a bunch of different just terrible situations of uh, hackers, Internet trolls that go on YouTube kids and intentionally put stuff there for our children uh, to stumble upon and be corrupted. In fact, you know, on on YouTube kids, there are 300 hours of videos being loaded every one minute. And so what they say and this, this is YouTube kids, not YouTube the big one, that's way higher than that. But 300 hours of videos every one minute being loaded onto YouTube Kids. And so the founders of it, the company uh, Google says, you know, there's no way that they can monitor all of it and ensure 100% safety. And so, you know, as a parent, we ought to be very cautious uh, before we just kind of give into the trend and the flow of handing some kid an electronic piece of uh, device, a um iPad, a phone, just so you can mop your floor, or so you can just kind of breathe and read a novel or whatever, and you just place that in their hands saying, they're safe, it's YouTube kids. We ought to take the more earnest heed for our children, because God has blessed us with children. They are from the Lord, and I want to train up my children in the way they ought to be raised. And so, I'm not here preaching a sermon on media, but I want us to know Sometimes there's dangers in unanticipated places, even places that are safe. There's unanticipated dangers in unsafe places. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 18, we read of the story, and we preached about it some time ago, about called Stay Out of the Woods. And when we talked about that, we are, uh, uh, the, the story that we read in 2 Samuel 18 is there's literal war going on. Swords and bows and arrows and fights and people being killed out on the battlefield. And so people uh, for the looking for safety and escape ventured out into the woods for some shelter and for some uh, uh, coverage. But the Bible says in 2 Samuel 18, 8, that the woods devoured more than the sword. Even though the war was very dangerous and unsafe they thought that there was something safer outside of their battle and in their trial but really it was even less safe in that circumstance in most cases it seems that God tends to use trials and troubles to save people it tends to be the most common way people come to church uh, they, they go broke they're on the verge of a divorce or 
or their addiction has got the best of them. It's abused and abused them. They, they, they become addicted to a substance, whether it's, it's meth or marijuana or whether it's alcohol or whether it's pornography. And it's just overtaking their life. And people go through a serious situation, a trial, a trouble, a, a, a very difficult thing going on in their world. And they finally humble themselves and say, God, I need you. I cannot do this by myself. And so as dangerous as a trial is, God uses it very often to reawaken within man the desire or the need and the awareness that I cannot do this without God and I need his help. And we ought to be thankful for any trial we've been through that drew us closer to God. And anyone thankful for that? You know, Philippians 2.12, we ought to take this serious, that God through a trial gave us salvation. But with this salvation, let us not be haughty or arrogant. The Bible says in Philippians 2.12, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Take this beautiful thing called redemption and salvation ever so seriously. The Apostle Paul, the greatest preacher that ever lived, the greatest missionary that ever lived, he even said, though I preach to others, I take caution lest I myself become a castaway. In 1 Corinthians ten twelve, even if you think you're more elite than the Apostle Paul, he said, you need to take heed lest you fall. I know you're standing upright right now. And while they were singing the song, praising for the victory, you were dancing, waving your hands, and you were just feeling so good in the Holy Ghost. We still ought to take heed lest we fall because there are unanticipated dangers in a trial. We can't avoid the trial or we can make ourselves available in a trial. We do everything we can to try to avoid confrontation, avoid the flames of a trial, of the pressure of certain circumstances. And we don't like those kinds of things. We don't like to go through the valley. We don't like adversity. We don't enjoy those things. And so you could spend all your time, energy, effort, and your thought process. How can I avoid this? Or how can I alleviate the pain? But instead, I want to present to you of trying to avoid it. Maybe we can make ourselves available in the trial. James, the Lord brother said in chapter one, verse two through four, my brethren, count it all joy when he fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but you got to let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Hear me, trials are inevitable. They are inescapable. You are going to go through, if you got, here's how you know if you're going through a trial. Here's how you take the test. If you got breath in your lungs, a trial's on its way. If you're breathing somewhere down the road, it might be five miles out. It might be five minutes out. It might just be a few years out. But trust me, if you got breath in your lungs, a trial is on its way. And so make a decision from one of these two choices I'm going to let you know about. Will your trial destroy you or will your trial develop you? I know that a trial, I run the risk of being destroyed, but I also run the risk of being developed. And so I consciously make a decision, whatever trial I go through, I will not be destroyed. I'm going to be developed. I'm going to grow from this. I'm going to get better from this and I'm going to do something great for God. 
Can we lift our voice to Jesus? Lord, I am determined not to be destroyed in my trial. God, I want to be developed through any trial or trouble I go through. Someone shout hallelujah. Turn to someone by you, poke them in the arm if they're asleep and say, are you going to be destroyed or developed? Now, there are some obvious dangers in trials, things you can anticipate from a trial. Obviously, a danger in going through a trial is that you can you can lose. You can become bitter. You can backslide. That is one of the potentials of going through a trial. Things don't pan out the way you want them to pan out. And so all of a sudden, your conscience gets seared with a hot iron. or Your heart just kind of gets combed over with calluses. And all of a sudden, now you're cold and indifferent to God. There are some obvious dangers when going through a trial. We can become bitter. And eventually, and God, God forbid, we ever backslide. But we all probably know someone in our lives. And if we're really thinking about it, we could probably count on multiple hands the amount of people that we know that through a situation got more bitter after their trial. And some people became just horrific backsliders after their trial because that is an obvious danger of a trial. But there's the not-so-obvious dangers of a trial. Let's take a lesson from the ancients and from Jesus in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Look, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There's a lot of people who have lived before us, and we're blessed to have this Bible to be able to research and look at their lives of the ancients and the elders that have gone on before us. And so we look at their lives, and we make up our minds to lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily besets us. And But we must run with patience, but patience only comes through diverse temptations if we count it all joy and that we stick with it to the end. But the Bible says we run this race that is set before us. And here's our example. Look to Jesus. He is the author. He's also the finisher of our faith. If you're here today and you're a believer, God didn't just birth a belief in you. He wants to complete the belief he began in you. God wants you to not only start the race well, he wants you to finish well. It is the motive of God for every person in this room under the sound of my voice for you to do well in this race, for you to make it through the pearly gates of heaven and to sit at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him for all eternity as he wipes away every tear. How many would like to see that happen in your life? Praise God. Praise God. Now, the Bible says, look to Jesus, who's the author, the finisher of our faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. You look at the elders in the Bible and you look at Jesus himself. Their trials are beyond our comprehension. We know that that comfort and blessing can be dangerous because in the pursuit of gaining the whole world, we can lose our own soul. That is a warning Jesus gave. He said, look, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
I'm not against us getting blessings and God making provision in our lives. But if we're not careful, that provision can replace God. And now, though we have got a lot of profit, we have lost our very own soul. That is an obvious danger in blessing and getting blessed. But in a trial, we can lose the whole world and gain our soul. God so often uses that approach and method where he completely strips a man of all his possessions until he's possessed by a pursuit to get a hold of God. We can't lose the whole world, but gain our soul. But at the same time, we can also lose the whole world and we can lose our soul in a trial. And so we got to be very cautious and very careful because it doesn't always turn out best case scenario where you go through a trial, you're stripped of all material possessions, you humble yourself, you reach out to God and you're saved. But no, there's sometimes you are stripped of everything. And in the midst of going through all of that, you still not only lose everything of material, you lose your own soul. God forbid that ever happen. There are the more obvious dangers of a trial. Consider the writing of Paul, Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Paul says this, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Somebody say other. Look not every man on his own needs, but every man also on the things of others. Someone say others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Now consider this, Paul wrote 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament, if you count Hebrews as one of his writings. This one man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Four of those books that he wrote, 30% of his writings came from prison. He wrote the book of Ephesians in prison. He wrote the book of Philippians in prison. He wrote the book of Colossians in prison. He wrote the book of Philemon in prison. The scripture we just read above us concerning thinking about others and having the mind of Christ came from a man that was captive in prison, ready for execution. With that understanding, let's look at Philippians again, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 and verse 19. Paul says, I now, not that I speak in respect of want, I have learned whatsoever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. In this very famous portion of scripture, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. The man who penned that under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost was not only under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he was under the shackles of prison. And in that prison, he says, I can do this. I can make this. But even more incredible than him, surviving his trial is verse 19. He does not just focus on his trial. He says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's incredible to, to think about this, that Paul had the mentality of others while he himself was suffering. I made mention of this, I think the past two Sundays, I had alluded to the, the story of Paul in Acts 14.
being being stoned to death, being left under a pile of rocks to die. And as he was under that pile of rocks to die, he got up from that pile of rocks. He went back to the city that rejected him and he encouraged the disciples. He encouraged the believers and he even had an ordination service and he began to anoint and pray for people to be powerful men and women of God to lead the church in that day. It's amazing to me that a man that you would figure, man, this is a dangerous trial that he is going through. And no, I don't think anyone here has ever been through such persecution like the Apostle Paul. But even in that persecution, even in that prison, he rose up and he says, I choose to think of others. I am not going to focus on myself as I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. I've got to pray for others. I've got to preach to others. I've got to write these letters to others. Where did Paul get this mentality? I believe in this is my personal opinion that he was first exposed to it through Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, we read of Stephen being going through a horrific trial. He is placed on trial to die. He's placed on trial for blasphemy. And as he is in his trial, they just lose their mind. They get livid and they begin to attack him and they drag him out of the city and they take off their coat saying, man, I don't want to mess up my nice clothes. And so here, Saul or Paul, we know him as you hold my coat while I make a mess of this guy. And so they begin to throw stones at Stephen and Stephen was losing consciousness. Stephen was losing blood. Stephen was losing sight. Stephen was losing his teeth. Stephen was losing facial bone structure. And as he was going through this, the Bible says, and they threw their coats at the feet of Saul and they stoned Stephen according to their religion and and, uh, according to their ways. And Stephen began to call upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But he didn't stop about himself. He stopped to make sure he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice and said, God, don't lay this sin to their charge. He began to pray and cry out for others while he himself was in a trial, while he himself was being rejected. He says, I am not going to make this about me. I'm going to make this about God and I'm going to make this about others. Even though it hurts, even though it's real, even though his rejection is painful, I cry out for others. And as he did that, the Apostle Paul watched it. But where did Stephen learn this concept? You could read easily, and for the sake of time, we're not going to go through these verses. But Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, Jesus on trial, Jesus in his, his, his storm, Jesus in absolute rejection as they spit on his face and slapped him across the cheek. Jesus on trial. And now we find Jesus on the cross. And as Jesus is on the cross... He begins to pray for a thief to be saved and to enter into life everlasting. Jesus on the cross, he took time as he was being rejected in pain and he cried out to his friend, John, the beloved. And he started talking to John, the beloved from the cross. Jesus took time on the cross before he died and he began to speak to family. He spoke to his mother, Mary, and he said, Mary, behold your son, John. John, behold your mother, Mary. He cried out to his friends from the cross and he cried out to his family, 
from the cross. And even as he was on that cross with his last breath, as his foes mocked him, he cried out to them and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The ultimate trial we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, was the joy that was set before him. He despised the shame. No one enjoys the trial. Nobody enjoys the dangers of the trial, but there was a joy he found in that trial. The joy wasn't his pain. The joy was others and what the pain was going to do for others. He knew that his pain was going to give them the power they needed to break through when they went through a trial and when they went through a tribulation and when they went through their valley. I wonder if we can lift our hands for just a moment. I'm, I'm just about done. Can we call out on the name of Jesus? The Holy Ghost is in this room right now. And God wants to do a work in your own life right now. In the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, for every person that is in this room, Jesus. I pray, God, that you will get a hold of them. I pray you grip their heart. Ah, in Jesus' name. Talking about the unanticipated dangers of a trial. In Jesus' ultimate trial, he took care of his friends, his family, and his foes. He took care of others. With his last breath, Jesus lifted his head for others and gave up the ghost, and he died. I want to mention these two unanticipated dangers of a trial. If you want to write them down, you can. The unanticipated danger of a trial or a storm is not so much what can happen to you, but that all you think about is you. The unanticipated danger of a trial is not so much what happens to you, but that all you think about is you. That's the most common thing that happens when we go through a trial. It's inward focus. It's self-focus, self-preservation. Defense mechanisms. How can I get out of this? How can I escape this? But Jesus did not try to escape his cross. Jesus did not try to escape his trial. The whole time, a man on the cross dying, he did not take the medicine they provided him to alleviate the pain. Now, what do we do? (laughs) Give me the good stuff, Doc. I, I, I need the numbing mechanism. Can you just numb my brain? Can you flatline me so I don't feel a thing? I'm not preaching against medication here, but the point to be taken, Jesus wants no relief from his cross. And while he's feeling the full effect of his trial and cross, the whole time, he's thinking about the guy next to him. He's thinking about the friend right there. He's thinking about his family. He's thinking about everyone there that's rejecting him and mocking him and making a show of him. And he says, forgive them. Forgive them. Who do you think about when you're on your cross? Who do you think about when you're on your trial? Be like Jesus. Lift up your head to see others and lift up your head to lift up others. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Jesus on the cross with you on his mind. But then there's us on the cross with us on our mind. I'm not here rubbing your nose in your mess today. We're all guilty of it. It's human nature. But we're here to discipline this human nature and say, I want this mind to be in me as was in Christ. 
as Paul wrote in prison about Jesus. And Paul did not write in that prison cell, oh, you just don't understand what I'm going through. You can't relate to me. You've never been through what I've been through. Oh, you can't even... Not one time in any of his letters does he do that. Not one time does he say, well, oh, you got life so perfect. You don't understand. You were raised with a silver spoon. You got an education. You not one time does he throw that in someone's face. But the whole time, he's thinking, I'm praying for you. You can do this. You can do this. I believe in you. Here's some advice. Here's some prayers. Here's some scripture. Let this come for you. Let this exhort you. It's incredible to see this attitude. See the difference between us on the cross and Jesus on his cross. Stephen being killed, Christ forgive them. Paul being killed, got up and went back to the same people and encouraged them. Paul in prison, writing to encourage others. I ask you today, in your discomfort, who do you comfort? Or do you constantly need to be comforted? Now, please do not misinterpret this sermon as pastor doesn't want me ever to reach out to him and ask to, to, for him to come to my house or to pray or teach me. Man, I got all the time in the world to pray with you, to teach you Bible studies, to do visitation. I am not belittling anybody's trial. I'm not belittling anybody's loss. I'm not belittling anybody's. I just simply want us to be aware of this mentality that is available to us in Scripture that we don't have to live in just simply trying to comfort ourselves. But while we are in discomfort, we have the ability through the power of God to comfort others in our discomfort. That is what made Paul so amazing. That's what made Stephen so amazing. That's what made Jesus so amazing. Though they were completely on trial and in a mess, they did not run the risk or the danger of being inward focused. They always thought about others. We return to the first scripture we open up with. I'm just about done. I promise you. Acts 27, 41 through 44 falling to a place where the two seas met because you know we do we do collide and as we collide into our situation we run the risk of running the ship aground and everything starts to fall apart and look at verse 42 the soldiers counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out that includes the apostle paul but look at verse 43 the centurion Willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. See, Paul was spared because a centurion felt loved by a man that was unloved. That centurion had the power to allow every prisoner to be executed. But Paul, in his trial, was in communication with these people was reaching for these people the whole time. He's the one that gave them words of encouragement that there's not going to be one man's life lost in this ship, in this battle. He's the one that spoke salvation to them. He's a man that spoke wisdom to them and tried to help them out the whole time. And so Paul was spared by a centurion who felt loved by this man who was unloved. The centurion was willing to save Paul because Paul was willing to save 
him. Even in your trial, you can present somebody salvation. And when you simply in your trial start thinking about others, those others can present you a type of salvation that you need, a saving grace that you need, because you were not just thinking about how bad you got it, but you were knowing that you got maybe some bad situations externally, but you got a good home eternally. And so, though things are bad external, you know at the end, life's going to be good in the eternal. So I'm going to reach for these people right now in the temporal and let them know, look, I know it looks like you're on the better end of this, but I want you to be saved. I want you to know about what I got inside of me. And so when Paul was about to be executed prematurely, that centurion says, no, no, no. This man has been talking to me. This man's been reaching to me. And so he has the power to reach me that way, but I got the power to spare him this way. And so he spares Paul's life. The centurion found a new purpose after being Paul's purpose. See, the centurion was just like all the other soldiers. They were ready to kill him. Look at verse 43. They were willing to kill him. But the centurion, though he was designed to kill any prisoner from escaping, he found his purpose because he was Paul's purpose. And when he became that, he said, you know what? I'm going to change these guys' purpose. I'm going to let them know that you don't kill Paul. You don't mess with the church. You don't mess with the preacher. And all of a sudden, things begin to turn around. If you want ever to find some sort of iota of purpose in your life, it is for others. It is for others. When we fall in love with others in the midst of all our turmoil and chaos, when nothing seems to be going the way we would like it to go. I'm telling you right now, do not be inward focused. Be outward focused and begin to realize those people in my trial are my purpose. And when they see that they are your purpose, they'll change their purpose towards you. I want to see souls saved. I want to see lives changed. I want to see men come to the cross. I want to see people baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus. I want to see souls filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I can't, if I fall prey to the unanticipated danger in my trial, being self-focused. The Bible says the rest, they escaped on boards, broken pieces of ship. They all escaped safe to land. Paul could have escaped, but he was bound by others. And so he remained with them. I want you to consider your trial as I come to a close. Paul only met these people because of his trial. These people had no part of his life if it wasn't for what was going on in his life. The people that you are surrounded by, as much as you might dislike them or you dislike why you're around them, is it possible that trial was placed by God for you to be around them? Paul only met these people because of his trial. And these people were only saved or spared because of Paul's trial. We just read in scripture here in verse 44, not one of them was lost. They all escaped to land safe. Paul told them this before. He says, I exhort you, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am. And whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, that thou must be brought before Caesar. Lo, God hath given thee all them 
that sail with me. God can give you all that sail with you in your storm if you'd simply take time to think about them. Paul was sensitive enough to God and to others, though he was a complete prisoner on trial, ready to be executed. And God told Paul, everyone that sails with you, I could spare their life. Because Paul had an open ear to that. Not a bitter ear, not a calloused ear. Everyone that was around him was spared. Is it possible your storm isn't for you, but for others? Let's stand together. The second unanticipated danger is another anticipated da- unanticipated danger in a trial is not that you lose your soul, but that you lose others. Now, ultimately, we want to be saved. But this great salvation that we have is not meant for us and us alone. And one of the dangers we run in a trial is that we keep this to ourselves because that's all that we're focused on in our situation. And that is a danger. When I am just so focused on my situation, my well-being, my family, my circumstance, that I have just closed the gate for someone else to be saved and to hear this message. Is it possible your storm isn't for you, but for others and God positioned you there? I fear not that you're going to lose your soul, though I, I, I pray everyone be saved. But I hope we're mature enough in our life not to get bitter and callous with God and lose our salvation. But I pray that while we go through what we go through, that we don't build up a wall where no one else has entrance to the message that we've been given entrance to. Don't be obsessed with self in a trial. Because Jesus said, look, if, we, if any man would just simply lose himself, you'll find yourself. You'll find that salvation. I don't. I don't know the details of everyone's life here, you know, and what you're going through, what you're facing. But I do know this, that the principle in Scripture of Paul is very challenging and of Stephen and of Jesus. When I'm on my cross and I'm absolutely going through it, how often am I thinking about the person next to me, the people around me? Jesus, fully man and fully God, felt the full effect of pain and rejection. And though he created all of them, Jesus, I could call down legions of angels right now. I can call this down. I could stop all this. I could be lifted up in front of everybody in a different way, a different method, and I can show them who's boss. But instead, he did not escape his rejection or his trial. And he began to look at this man next to him, this thief on the cross, and he got this man ready to be able to go to heaven. Not only that, but he made sure I'm going to reach out to my family. I'm going to reach out to my friends and all those around me rejected. He got all his bases covered 
instead of just thinking about, oh, this hurts, this is terrible, it's just me, no one likes me, no one cares about me. No, there was a joy inside of his trial. I want us to gather around the front here. I want us to pray here in just a second. The Holy Ghost is in this room. The presence of God is in this place. We need to ask God to increase our awareness of our surroundings, of our, look, it's, 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 it's so natural, it's so easy for us to build our own kingdom and to take care of mine kind of mentality. It's, it, that's just what we do. That's what we do as humans. But I, I feel the Holy Ghost just challenging me to challenge you to simply state this, that start considering in your daily life others people around you because if we're ever going to reach Watertown it's not going to be from a selfish church it's going to be from a selfless church a church that constantly is doing everything it can for others constantly talking to others constantly inviting others constantly encouraging others I hope people can see us like Paul Saul Stephen even though we might be rejected even though we might be outcast Paul saw a man still willing to reach out for those who are pushing him or pushing Stephen away. God, let that nature be in me. Let that mind be in me as was in Christ. Let that mind be in me as was in Paul. Paul in prison, writing to people, encouraging them. Let's pray right now. God, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be that kind of church. I do not want to be a casualty Lord, in my trial, Lord, when in my trial, all I think about is me. God, in my trial, it is possible. You are trying to get me to think of others that I'm in contact with. Even others I don't like. Even others that rub me the wrong way. Even others, God, that seem to be against me. Even others that do not cooperate with me. Lord, help them become my purpose, God. And Lord ultimately will change their purpose. Recomba, randaye, sombara ke konda.